Hello, and welcome to another awesome bonus episode of Real Blend. No, I am not Sean. He is currently spending some much-deserved time off with some family, and so I'm here to give you a little intro. This episode features our interview with Tara Wood, the director behind QT8, The First Eight, an awesome documentary about Quentin Tarantino's first eight films. We were so excited to get Tara on. Um, It took a bit of work. Some scheduling stuff, some crazy weather, all that kind of thing. Um, but we were able to get her on. She she brings a really cool, fresh perspective, something that we haven't had on the show before with a documentary filmmaker and kind of talking about that process um, and what it took to get these awesome star-studded interviews um, and kind of what she wanted to say and found that she wanted to say about Tarantino and his process and all that sort of thing. We think you guys will really enjoy this. Uh, you can check out the documentary itself on VOD right now, uh, but I will just get out of the way and let you guys enjoy this awesome interview with Tara Wood. Guys, I'm really excited to be joined by the director of a new documentary focused on one of our favorite filmmakers of all time, Quentin Tarantino. The doc is called QT8, The First Eight, and our director is Tara Wood. Hi, Tara. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Good. So, I mean, one of the things we love talking about on the Real Blend podcast is Tarantino and his films. And it was so fun to sit down with your documentary, go back through all of the work that he's done and actually take away things that I never even realized. I have to start with one that really caught me off guard because I had no clue that this was actually true. He, in a way, kind of owes his big break to an episode of The Golden Girls. Is that is that accurate? <laughs> Yeah, he did the episode so that he had enough. Well, he did it for the money so that he can quit the video store and concentrate on Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you found something new in there that you didn't know. I had never heard that before. And what I love, too, is that you have that um, the clip of him. (laughs) He's essentially being an Elvis impersonator showing up in that episode. And you're saying that that earned him enough cash that he could go and, and or at least put that to Reservoir Dogs? Yes, Exactly. And he also, um, if you remember, he, he's obviously a, um, an Elvis fan. Uh, and he, in true romance, he wrote that uh, Val Kilmer played Elvis. Do you remember that? So he's revisited sure, Elvis a few times, which is cool. That, that is really funny. He, uh, the King has definitely been an influence on him in a couple of different films over the years, you could tell. Um, I want to talk about putting together the doc. Uh, people don't realize how much time it takes, how much effort goes into tracking down interviews with this. I think what Tarantino fans who check this documentary out are going to be most impressed with the people that you got. I'm curious, who is the hardest person for you to get time with that you knew that you absolutely needed to be part of the documentary? Um, you know, Quint, when I reached out to Quinn to get his blessing to move forward on this, um, he said that he would participate only in making sure that people knew that he was supportive, right? So if they called him and asked, are you into this? He said, yes, right? Um, So with that in place, it was, you know, nobody pushed back on that. It was pretty pretty easy to get people to say yes. Scheduling was a little bit hard, but, um, oh, actually, we would have loved to have had uh, Travolta, but his scheduling, oh, and Leo and and Pitt, Post getting the film back, um, their schedules were were difficult. But outside of that, it was uh, everybody was really happy and and uh, willing to uh, to sit down with us, which was amazing. Well, he definitely seems like a filmmaker and a collaborator that the people who have worked with him love talking about. You know, they almost love sharing their stories and experiences with them. Did you find that to be the case? Oh yeah, absolutely. 
they uh, it's funny because you know they they're allotted a certain amount of time by their their agents or managers to make sure that you know they're there for 20 minutes they get it all in and they and they've got to be out you know that's all they've got I don't think anybody left in less than I think it was an hour 20 <laughs> so uh yeah once they sat down with us um they they kept going they had a lot of great stories there's a lot left on the floor unfortunately like this could have been you know probably well, five hours long <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to ask next is because it almost seems like as you were getting into each of the different films I found myself wanting to just sort of you know, press pause and stay in those movies, you know, and by, nece- by necessity, you had to move on to the next one to get through all of them. But talk to me about how you chose, like, the footage that you wanted to use from each of the films and what angles you wanted to focus on, because you very easily could just do eight documentaries about the films that you focused on. Yeah, easily. Um, that was the hardest part of the doc. It's cruel, really, to have to bring a Tarantino documentary into 90 to 100 minutes. It was... It was Rule is the word that always comes back. <laughs> um, so choosing shots from the films, I, um, I did try to bring in the mo- some of the most iconic shots, um, but then also bring in stuff that you maybe forgot about. Um, of course, uh, I've got to think of one now, but th- it's um, a lot <laughs> of the dialogue went directly to specific shots. So, th- so that kind of brought us there, but, um, I tried to just even it out. I tried to bring in as much as I could to, to remind people of what they may f- be forgetting and also remind people with the iconic shots of why we're here to begin with and what makes Tarantino Tarantino. Uh, one of our other co-hosts on the show who wasn't able to join us, uh, Kevin McCarthy is, is one, uh, probably the biggest Tarantino fan that I know. And that's saying a lot because all three of us on the show are, are enormous fans of his. Kevin uh, wanted me to ask specifically about the times that you chose to go to animation. Um, some of the some of the documentary uses aspects of animation. And he was wondering if that's a specific homage to the way that Quentin uses a- animation in Kill Bill. Um, it, yes. Uh, it's also a way for us to bring Quentin in instead of just, you know, listening to a story we could actually see Quentin. Um, this series... I started with Richard, uh, 21 years, Richard Linklater, where we used animation in that as well. Uh, and that's what we do to bring our subject in so that we can visit with him. And animation lends to so much. It's a lot of fun. It really does. And then you're able to sort of turn it over to, you know, almost cutting edge animators uh, and get a different visual feel, too, as you're putting it together. Uh, it was cool. It was, it was a nice touch. that I like that you brought the documentary. I'm curious. Uh, we talk a lot about the performers Uh, In Tarantino's ensemble, people who come back uh, obviously take on completely different roles from things that they've done uh, in other movies. But it's almost like in a Wes Anderson kind of way. Like I could I can tell what a Wes Anderson script is based on who he has reading the dialogue, whether it's a a Tilda Swinton or, um, you know, even an Ed Norton or something like that. I'm wondering if you had to choose the quintessential Tarantino actor, uh, you know, the performer who kind of best fits his his mold, who, who would you go with? Uh, Samuel Jackson, hundred percent. He's, I mean, he's in the films, even when he's not in the films, you hear his voice or he's in every single one of his films, except, uh, Reservoir Dogs, right? Yeah. I think he's, I think that's right. Oh, uh, yeah. I wish he's, he's not in once, uh, he's not in once upon a time. And I really wanted him to sort of show up in that unless I missed him. I've only seen it the one time. So I believe that he was actually in a shot in once upon a time in Hollywood. He's in the background of a shot. And I, I, gosh, 
I've got to, I've got to remember which one it was, but he's there. <laughs> so there, now you have homework. He is definitely in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. I'm currently revisiting it as we speak. So I'm going to go through and, and, and find him. I need, it's like a where's Waldo type, type of situation. I love that. Uh, this is another question from Kevin. Kevin always makes this argument uh, or has this argument in his head about Tarantino's best monologue. Um, Tarantino himself has said on record that he thinks it's the opening to Inglorious Bastards. Kevin will always argue that it's the true romance uh, walk and hopper uh, dialogue scene. We would love for you to try to settle that debate for us. Do you, would you choose between one of those two or do you have a different preferred uh, favorite Quentin Tarantino monologue of all time? Ah, those are the two. Those are the two I concentrated on because I was so torn as to which one really did it for me. And I, I have to say true romance, the Sicilian speech. I have to. It's just so, <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> Kevin will be thrilled that you agree with him on that one. Uh, for me, it's absolutely, um, it's Jules in the diner at the end, you know, just, and again, you go to Sam, you know, talking about that is just, uh, it, the way that he delivers that is so great. Uh, talk to me a bit about putting a documentary together, getting people to uh, come around and support documentaries. We see a lot of amazing documentaries, but it's such a struggle nowadays to to get them um, into a theater or to get them in front of the audiences. What are some of the um, challenges and, and how did you overcome them in terms of getting a doc produced, uh, getting some people to get behind it? And what is your strategy to get it in front of the largest possible audience of Tarantino fans? Yeah, so that's definitely difficult. And I was not going to pursue a theatrical release because of that. I was like, you know, let's just not deal with it and just concentrate all our effort on VOD and, and moving on from theatrical. Um, then Fathom Events um, actually approached us, which is an event rather than a traditional theatrical run. So we did a one night event on October 21st that went to 600 plus screens. Um, so that was much more fun and, and it kind of lent itself to doing extra features and additional footage and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it was definitely a challenge. That's how we chose to do it. And then that supported, uh, the rest of the platforms. Well, hopefully we just released Tuesday to, um, VOD. So, um, yeah, I feel like there's definitely more of an audience for documentaries, but they still struggle struggle theatrically. So I, I liked the the one night event option. So that's what we did. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to get it in front of uh, people who would be interested in the material. I'm really curious too. You gave yourself a bit of a for, uh, format in that you were going to go chron chronologically through the films uh, as he released them, but how? structured was your narrative uh, as you were putting the documentary together versus um, how fluid were you able to be based on the answers that you were getting back from the cast about being able to maybe pivot, you know, into other aspects that you were going to cover or, or were there some aspects that maybe you, you didn't plan to cover from the certain movies, but then when you got feedback from people like Madsen or Tim Roth uh, that you said, Oh, I have to include this now. So it's going to change what I'm, what I'm going to include. So I definitely go into the interviews and, and the overall project knowing that I'm going to allow them to tell me what the story is. So I go in with the, with Tarantino, I went in with the idea of, I, you know, I want to debunk the idea that he just uses the N-word to, you know, scratch his nails across the blackboard, like Sam Jackson says, right? Um, I wanted to very much, I want to address that. I want to address... 
uh, his um, his influences and how he uses that footage. And he doesn't. Well, actually, he says he does steal. Right. <laughs> Imitation um, is not his thing. He actually does steal. So um, I, I definitely want to dig into the and his use of violence, um, the way he uses it. Like, for example, you know, when um, he gets his head blown off in the back of the car in, in Pulp Fiction, how can you laugh at that? You know, it's a, or, or the, the cop scene in Reservoir Dogs. Like, they're, they're horribly violent scenes, but you don't have, you're not feeling that at, at, while you're present. So that's stuff I wanted to address. What was surprising, honestly, was uh, the, I always loved his female characters, but I didn't know where that came from necessarily. So learning that he grew up with a single mom and his characters, just like the rest of his characters, exist on a truthful plane, right? And then he exaggerates them and he, and he pins certain emotions and he, and he really goes to the top with it. So that with the female characters, there was so much more depth to them. And then learning that in front of and behind the camera, there was women. So he became like this natural women's advocate, which I doubt he considers himself directly, but he just is. So, yeah, so that was awesome, actually, because they all talked about it. It was something that it just kind of came up. So it fed a new dialogue that I didn't know was there. Tara, when, at what point in the process did you go from just becoming a fan who checked out the latest Quentin Tarantino uh, film to a documentarian who was going to go over his entire career. <laughs> um, so I, again, I started with Richard Linklater and Rick and Quentin and Robert Rodriguez all spent a lot of time in Austin, Texas. And I spent a lot of time there and these guys would hang out and put on shows and he would do that QT fest and show all his old, old favorite films and really keep people engaged in going to the theater and enjoying a film together and it being this uh, community and group experience. And he just became more of a, um, there, there's just so much more to him that, uh, you know, people would refer to, refer to him as being a, a sweet, humble guy and who wore his heart on his sleeve. I was like, Tarantino, <laughs> what? So <laughs> um, it just really got my attention. He's just, he's just so layered and there, there's so many aspects to him. And if you watch his films, you see them, you know, you just have to kind of sit long enough and allow them to be there because he definitely presents all those layers. Well, then to, to that end, what critique that he gets angers you the most because you think it's misguided? <laughs> Uh, uh, well, there's a few, um, gratuitous violence. I, I think that's ridiculous. Um, because there's always a reason. Um, and if you look at the details, you'll see them or, or he's making a point that you just don't get. Um, and again, I have to go back to, yeah. And I have to go back to women. There's a lot of women that I've spoken to that are like, Oh, I don't watch Tarantino films. And I'm like, well, you're crazy because it speaks to everything that you were just talking about, you know? So, um, that's infuriating. You know, when somebody says, Oh, he, when a, specifically a woman says you or, or Quentin doesn't give enough to his female characters, he's very abusive to them. I, I find that infuriating. A great example actually was in Canada. That is really frustrating. Yeah, it is. It is. 
Or the fact that I'll jump to once upon a time in Hollywood that he's been accused of not giving Margot Rob- Robbie um, enough lines, you know, as an actress. Um, that's absurd. It's an, it's an absurd reaction to a beautiful film. Like he kept her angelic and in the vein of how we see Sharon Tate. Um, and I think, I think he did a wonderful job. And if you can't see that, you're, you're missing it. And you, you need to revisit. Well, and I think that speaks to, I'm not sure if you've seen The Irishman, uh, Scorsese's new film. I have not. But, uh, to, you know, people are, are talking the same, the same, leveling the same sort of criticism at Anna Paquin's character without kind of paying attention to just how important she is to the narrative. It's, it's really strange that that critique got leveled at both Tarantino and Scorsese this year. Um, when if people sort of paid attention to their larger body of films, they would realize that that it's, it's just like it's pulling a critique out of the clouds that that has no real basis or, or, or background information to to hold any sort of water. It's it's really strange. It is very strange that they both had to sort of deal with that this year. I, I actually I 100 percent agree with you. And I um, I have read about that criticism and I'm dying to watch the film for many reasons, that being one. But right now. I don't have a screen big enough. I have to get back to my place in LA and I refuse to watch it on a small screen. So that's why I haven't watched it yet. Good. Good. Thank you. <laughs> I support that. I hate that you have to wait, but I absolutely support you waiting to see it on the biggest screen possible. Okay. So you mentioned Austin and you mentioned hanging out with Linklater and Tarantino. I- I'm assuming Rodriguez is going to get the same treatment next. I certainly hope so. Robert, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, really, have you started the process to potentially do his filmography? Because it would be just as compelling. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's definitely on the list. Yeah. I, the, the 90s auteurs I, I find really interesting. Um, we mentioned this in the documentary or Sharon, Sta- Sh- excuse me, Stacy Sher mentions it, that um, the, our 90s, you know, auteurs were, is the equi- equivalent of the French New Wave. And I definitely want to visit uh, the, the people that, that fall into that. And so how does that work? Do you really have to start by getting their permission before you even start going down it? Would you, could you possibly do somebody who didn't support your efforts or like if, if Rodriguez or even like a Kevin Smith or someone like that or Soderbergh were to come out and just say, eh, I'm not really into that idea. Would that sort of stop you there or? Yeah, I think it would. I don't think it'd be fun for um, his, his friends and colleagues to, to be on board if he's, if that specific director is not, um, you know, I'm not into that. You know, this film, this documentary was made not to be an expose. It was made to be fun and show things that maybe you haven't seen or you want to revisit. Um, and I like that aspect of it. Um, I don't like digging into things where people are uncomfortable uh, for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I would definitely only move forward with their blessing. But you don't have to have it. Other documentarians do it all the time. Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, okay. So my final question, I'll get you ahead on this one then is, is Tarantino seeing the film? Yes. Um, I heard that he likes it, but I have not spoken to him. I'm dying to hear from him and, and get his take on it. All I know is that he, he likes it right now. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the review that you want. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you just love to get an opportunity to sit next to him in a theater, a uh, true romance style and watch the film play out? Oh my God. So yes, yes. So when I sat with Eli Roth, well, many of them and, and they 
Quinn always invites everybody to the house, you know, come watch a film. I was like, you know, I just daydream that Quentin Tarantino is going to say, hey, come over. Let's watch the d- documentary together. <laughs> like, that would be amazing. I'm holding out. I'm holding out. Good. All right. Well, he's going to hear it on this show and then uh, he'll be in touch with you shortly after that is my hope. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Tara. I really appreciate you coming on. Again, the documentary is QT8, the first eight, and uh, it'll be available. Tell people where they can find it, Tara. What's the easiest way for them to find it? So all the information is on QT8, the first Um I will plug iTunes because they have we have the extra features there. So if you're looking for more content, um, I tried to get as much on there as I could. So QT8, the first Terrific. And thank you so much for hopping on with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys. You're awesome. Thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.